Hello and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. We really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Today, we're going to be talking about autism and the intersectionality of race. But as always, before we get started, we want to ground ourselves and just open with a meditation. So I invite you, if you can, to center yourself, place your feet firmly on the floor, and just take a moment to find your breath, to tune into that which gives you life. Take a moment to connect with divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, which is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. Breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. And as you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and you are love itself. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity and carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of changing the status quo. Now take a deep breath in and breathe out. Acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take another deep breath in and sigh it out, and let's begin. I'm so excited today because like last week, what I would like to do is to share with you a portion from my upcoming book, which is Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. The book itself will launch on April 18th, but you can actually pick up a copy uh, of the book. You can pre-order a copy now. And so what I would like to do with you is to just share with you um, just a little bit from the book. And what I've chosen to share with you today really is around anger. I think it is so important for us to understand what we need to do when we are feeling angry. And so just give me a moment to, to pull it up here because well, my computer is, is coming up a little bit too small for these eyes. And so I want to um, just open us up today with this. So give me one moment here. And I'm so excited today to, to welcome my, my guests that I have uh, here to talk about the intersectionality of uh, autism and race, because one of the things that we know that happens is, is that in the medical community, we are often, people of color are often um, not treated so kindly. And so sometimes we get to this place where we're feeling a great deal of anger. And so the important thing for us to do, though, is to really understand how do we engage um, in a way that's going to be productive. And so here, here are the words that are from my upcoming book. Dozens of people who are white expressed to me that they were shocked about the blatant display of racism in 2020. More specifically, despite evidence of racism through media and otherwise, they were in a state of denial about how it played out in this country. They seemed to believe that situations could not be as bad as people of color made it seem. Once awakened to the cries of social justice, however, they moved on to anger. Perhaps you were one of them. The ways in which you move in and out of this stage will impact the road that you travel on the sacred intelligence journey of faith. What you do with that anger can fuel your passion and lead to powerful changes, or it can thwart your movement and derail your plans. 
It can even imprison you. As a psychologist, I've worked with many people who have been imprisoned by their anger. It has gotten in the way of their relationships, their success in their careers, their ability to enjoy life, their happiness, and more. I've worked with individuals who have shared with me that at times they have blacked out because they became so angry. As a result, they lost control and ended up in situations that led to them being arrested or incarcerated for some very serious charges, like taking someone's life. Anger is a powerful emotion that can erupt like a volcano when a person feels like they have been violated or treated unfairly or spoken to disrespectfully. Murder, of course, constitutes the extreme. Anger ranges from mild and impersonal irritants, such as seeing someone driving with their dog in their lap, to more personal irritants, such as someone criticizing what you're wearing. Your indignation of anger might include instances of sexually inappropriate behavior a peer being elected to an office you wanted, a co- you wanted, but instead they got it. But then there's some that are collective. Some of our irritants and some of our anger comes from this collective consciousness, such as the outrageously heinous murder of a man witness, uh, of a man witnessed by children and adults and person and other persons being murdered. So here's what Melvin Wheatley says. Melvin Wheatley says, there are situations in life in which the absence of anger would be the essence of evil. Indeed, the world was and is justified in its outrage over the callous ways in which people of color are treated as if our lives have little value. Yes, anger, righteous as it may be, is ineffective unless it moves us from acts of raw emotions to transformative and healing actions that can create a world where racial equity exists for all and move towards bridging the racial divide. So you'll have to pick up a copy of my book in order to understand how I invite us to look at anger and how we can use anger more effectively. Because again, it's okay for us to be angry, but it's what we do with that anger. So my guest today, I'm sure, has had many experiences of feeling anger, particularly as it relates to how other people respond to her and her son and her family as well. I am so delighted to have my guest, Teresa Noy, with me today. She is the author of the award-winning Amazon bestseller book, Hello Autism, How to Love, Like, and Learn from your special needs child. She is affectionately known as America's Divinity Coach, and she'll tell us a little bit more about what that means. And she is the founder of the Personal Power Academy. There's much more that I could say about her, but I do want to say that she is a proud HBCU graduate, historically Black colleges and universities. For those of you who do not know, she's a Brooklyn native, Uh, It is important for her to claim that as well, but she lives in Pennsylvania now. And so I want to welcome to the show today, my guest, Teresa Noy. Teresa, welcome to the show. Yeah, unmute yourself, please. Okay. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Reverend Dr. TLC. <laughs> I am so delighted. So delighted. So I want to just find out from you, you know, the journey that you've had, particularly with your son who uh, has special needs, but as well as being a divinity coach and as well as 
one who is always on the journey for equity, just in general. Mm-hmm. What is it that grounds you and that keeps you centered in moments of distress and in moments of anger, like I read about? Mm-hmm. You know, when you were reading that, I instantly went back to something that happened to me when I was about nine years old. I was sitting in the car with my father at a a stoplight. A car pulled up um, with two white men in. They looked at, it was the summertime. The windows were rolled down. The man spit in the car. Spit mm. the car, spit at my father, called him inward, mm. and drove off. Mm. And my father, I can see him clenching the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And he took his handkerchief out and wiped his face. Mm. Um, and then proceeded to talk to me about, about the world and, and the ignorance of some people and the hatred and Mm-hmm. Um, but that that incident marked me, and I was very angry, and I hated white people mm-hmm. after that incident. Hated, mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't until um, I became friends with um, who is my best friend now, but she was a white woman, um, and we became friends, and we began to have these authentic conversations um, around um, race and some really deep authentic conversation but it was it was out of that relationship that I was able to um build that bridge Mm. um, both of us building bridges from our world into each other's world Mm. I I just so I appreciate you sharing that story and I know that it's a it can be a hard story when we go back to those memories because a part of what keeps us going is being able to put those memories right. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it speaks a lot of what our parents have had to go through mm-hmm. and what we have to go through in teaching our children how to navigate this mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. and the racism in the world, but how to continue to love. Right despite that. And that's the thing that people really need to understand about this journey of navigating racism is about being continuing to be in that place of love, despite. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about uh, in my book, and I know that you are um, a woman who has a, a, a faith tradition too, and it's not so much that we have to have a tr- faith tradition, but really having the faith that we can get through this, right? That it is possible to dismantle racism. And I know that that's something that keeps you moving through um, life, but, but I do want to have you to talk about what, what grounds you and to keep you moving, but we're already at our first break. And so we're going to pause just for a minute to take a break. And when we come right back, if you can speak a little bit about what centers you and, and keeps you going and grounds you, I would really appreciate it. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you? 
you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Everybody wants to dance always when they're listening to the music. And I have to just give a shout out to my daughter, Ruby, because she's the one who selected the songs uh, <laughs> that, that we're hearing here. So thank you, Ruby. Teresa, before the break, you know, you shared with us an incident that happened with your father. And in that, you know, we were going into what grounds you and what keeps you going and really uh, standing up for for racial equity, but equity in general? Yeah, you know, what grounds me is deepening my love, just constantly deepening my love, believing that love really does conquer everything Mm -hmm. and that love, we never lose love. Mm -hmm. And so even in the midst of hatred and injustice, um, I have to remember that love never fails and it conquers everything. So mm-hmm. I, I journal, I meditate, I pray, I sing, but I'm always coming back to the love that never fails and knowing that love will conquer that, conquer yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And I think it's the love that keeps us moving towards justice that allows us to bridge that racial divide, right? So so at some point you had to get beyond your anger and decide I can befriend a white woman. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and that love allows you to trust. And, you know, I think about it sometimes, you know, the, the friendships that we would miss out on. Mm-hmm if we stay in those places of anger mm-hmm. and we will not be able to accomplish our goal if yeah. we're in anger all the time. Right. And it doesn't matter what color we are. If you, if you are uh, galvanizing for a cause, you cannot do it and not be effective in the strategies that you use. I do want to point out being angry is normal for us to feel, as I'm saying there, we, of course, we're going to be angry, but we need to be effective with it. So in this spirit of love, yeah, you are known as the divinity coach. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about that and what you do. So it's interesting that, um, you talk about, you know, love and anger and everything, because my journey, it all came out of with my son, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and, and that, that woman, that white woman, my best friend, she played a huge role in that as well. So um, when my son was three years old, he was diagnosed with autism and um, we were obviously devastated because we didn't know anything about it, but We decided after we learned about autism, which is a social um, disability, um, it impacts people's ability to connect with each other. And um, there's a broad range of conditions that are characterized by challenges with social skills, repetitious behaviors, um, speech, nonverbal communication. We decided to run a home program with him for uh, six years, uh, building a bridge from his world into our world. Mm -hmm. And it was founded on love. 
-hmm. acceptance and play, right? Um, Out of that journey prior to that, I was living with a mask on. Um, I was very inauthentic, uh, didn't really understand um, who I was, even though I was this leader and leading people into, you know, powerful, transformative experiences. Me, personally, you know, I, I wasn't being authentic, you know, to who I was, right? Mm-hmm. I, we, we've all been there. And, um, but when my son was diagnosed, I made a decision that I would no longer live inauthentic. And I took off that mask and I really tapped into my divinity yes. in order to create this life mm. uh, for possible for him and for myself. And then I started to really go on this deep, deepen my love, go in this journey of understanding the love beyond what you hear in a church building or service, mm-hmm. but really tapping into understanding the first of all, that I am love, right? Yes. Because yes. I came from love yes. and all of what that what is possible for you when you begin to live from this place of love and power mm. and strength and, and hope and action, you know? Um, so I took those principles. Um, it was sort of learning in tandem um, as we were doing that with our son, what we thought was going to, you know, help him actually saved us, you know? Ah, that yeah. is so beautiful. And, and and I love that you're saying I tapped into my divinity, which is love, which is, yeah. which is our godliness, right? But, you know, so many people miss that. They yeah. miss that we are divine as well. We are created in this divinity. And, and so I'm so glad that, that you're connecting it with that. So, so for you, let's talk then uh, a bit about, um, you know, in your book, you, mm-hmm. you talk about the lessons that you learned first, how to love, how to learn and all that. So yeah. what would be some of the greatest lessons that you learned? Yeah. Your son. Oh man. The greatest lesson is acceptance, you know, and um, yeah, learning how to accept who we are. Once again, everyone, all of us were created in the image and the likeness, Mm -hmm. right? And of God. And so, um, what does that mean? That means we're amazing, powerful, phenomenal human beings because we came from that. Um, but sometimes it's packaged differently mm-hmm. and we make these judgments because of the packaging, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we tend to do. And as a result, we miss out on the greatness of who those people gifts are, those gifts in people's packages. Mm-hmm. And so um, our son, you know, as we were, um, seeking to understand who he was, we had to do this constant process of letting go of judgments, letting go, right, of, of beliefs that you have around what this situation is, because it looks a certain way, because it talks a certain way, because it acts, you know, because of circumstances. So um, constantly confronting those beliefs mm-hmm. that, um, that we had about what he could do, um, what he should do, what we needed to do, all of it just came full circle and just letting go and just surrendering and allowing what is and receiving the gifts that come with that process. Mm-hmm. How, can you talk a little bit about that surrendering though? Because we often speak up to, to people about surrendering Mm-hmm. And I know it's not easy just to yeah. let go. So what was that like for you? I think, well, for me, it's, and it continues to be, <laughs> I haven't mastered it, right? It continues to be an ongoing dance, right? You constantly you feel like you know the steps and then they switch it up on you and then you got to learn it over again, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really a matter of accepting with the knowledge that all will be well. Mm. I think that's the hardest part when it comes to surrendering. 
we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid of the future. Um, we have regrets about the past. Um, and we're constantly in our head about what does this mean if I surrender? What's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So just allowing yourself to let go, understanding that goodness will follow you, that there's good. Mm-hmm. So if I can trust and just know that love won't fail me, right? I can surrender, I can let go, I can allow what is with the anticipation and the hope that there's good and that there's better for me. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. So let's go back a little bit, you know, to your friend supporting you and helping you. What are some of the ways in which she supported you? Yeah, well, she, she's, Cheryl is, uh, and not a lot of human beings like her. And she's just a solid, she's like a, a ride or die, you know, she's just there. She's just there. But um, how she, it, her, her role as, as we were on our journey, um, well, how she got, uh, <laughs> how she helped us to get there was, when I became friends with her, she was at this uh, university, Eastern University, and she introduced me to the university. And I came there and I started working there. We actually started living there. And it was the Eastern University community that became an integral part of our home program. So mm-hmm. when you said that um, you never know the role that people will play and what you miss out on, if I had not opened myself up to that friendship, I would have missed out on um, my career in higher education. I would have missed out on the community that um, that we were able to create to support us as we were doing this home program with our son. Um, I would have missed out on the invitations that came out of the community because it was a predominantly white community, right? Mm -hmm. So that was an opportunity for us. We were the first Black family to live on this campus. So Mm -hmm. it was an opportunity for us now to show them, you know, to, to be to them what a Black family is like and have these, these very authentic conversations with them around, around race, you know, lots of conversations, very intentional, deliberate conversations that came out of that friendship. And and what's beautiful about that is this a two-way street, right? You know, there are things that you um, received out of the relationship with her, but Mm -hmm. vice versa as well. And not only did she receive it, but like you're just saying, the beautiful conversations that came out of it. Because when we have that interracial dialogue, we Mm -hmm. grow from it. But what I find is, is that often people don't have friends outside of their racial group. And when that happens, you can't learn, you can't learn about another race just by watching what happens on television, particularly for people of color, because we're painted in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you only go with what you see on TV, you will have this warped sort of view of our experiences. Okay. So I'm so glad that um, that the two of you were able to connect with one another because when we connect together, right, it creates a better world for all of us. We have to take a break, but what I'd like to do when we come back is I'd like you to share with us some of your experiences around being a, a woman of color who uh, who raises a child with special needs and perhaps what are some of the things that you've witnessed and encountered. Yeah. We will be right back uh, in just a moment. I'm your host of the Dismantle Racism Show, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Howdy, Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. 
passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today, Teresa Noy, has been talking about the uh, intersectionality of autism and race. So we're going to get into the discussion a little bit more uh, deeply. And before the break, I ask you to sort of think about some instances of where you have witnessed this intersectionality. So share with us a little bit about your experience as a black woman raising a special needs child. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the biggest thing is that you always feel like you're alone. And um, I, this is back in when autism wasn't as um there weren't as many resources available. So I spent so much time searching for resources to help our son. And um, all of the things that I found that resonated with me, I was usually the only black person. Mm -hmm. So you, you feel if, if that's the first thing you feel like you're alone, right? We chose to run a home program with him. So we were able to create a community where um, we kind of were in a bubble. Uh, but as I am looking for resources to help, um, I had to constantly be the only person. And then I felt like, well, you know, if I'm the only one, what's happening to where, where are all the other Black people that have kids on the spectrum, right? Um, so that was, that was really difficult. The other piece is there is a, um, uh, I guess, you know, a stereotype. Uh, I don't think st stereotype is not the word. Stigma. Mm -hmm. There's a stigma um, in our culture. Um, and so I found that even there was a lack of support from some of our um, mm -hmm. faith organizations. Um, and there's this feeling that you're either doing something wrong sometimes or you're not doing enough. Um, so people, they don't, they don't talk about it. There's mm -hmm. just not a lot of conversations. There is now, there are a lot more um, organizations that are helping uh, people of color, but back then it wasn't. So again, you feel lonely. Um, then you have the fear, right? Um, I took my son to the, um, to the police station and introduced him, introduced myself, introduced him to let them know you have a black child with autism that's living in this community. Um, because my son, you know, there are uh, certain behaviors that autistic children have. One of the things that my son loved to do is he loved numbers. He's obsessed with numbers. So he would walk up to cars to look at the license plate 
Mm. Um, but to 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 have a, a a black child walking up to your car, it could be a little unnerving, right? Uncomfortable. So go ahead. I I don't want you to speed past that one because you've said several things that that <laughs> are really important for us to touch on. But like, I don't want you to speed past this because share with our listeners mm-hmm. the difference between a white kid walking up to a car to look at the numbers versus a black kid walking up to the car to look at the numbers. A black kid is seen as a threat, you know? Um, and, you know, just my son is 20. Let me say my son is 20 now and he is in college. He's doing amazing. Um, but um, he's now he's not a little kid. Now he's a grown man. He's really tall. Mm-hmm. We just had a conversation with him. I got a call a couple of, this is, this is, was like three weeks ago. I got a phone call from the Dean of Students um, that there was an incident on campus. My son had a, found a postcard and he wanted to deliver it to the person. Mm. And he took the card to the person and um, to the, to the apartment and left it there. Went back a couple of days later to ensure that they got the card. And he's knocking on the door, knocking on the door, like, won't you open the door? Won't you open the door? You know, just wanting to, I know he's a good heart. He wants to deliver, but you know, a black man knocking on the door of um, young white uh, college students is not a welcome (laughs) sight. They were going to kick him off campus, Mm. you know? Um, So it's those types of things that you you have to deal with, not just the um, with him being black, but now him also having a disability. So not having knowing the social nuances around right. appropriate behavior, right? I think I think really was you know it's really important for our listeners to understand that we don't get second, third, fourth, fifth chances, right? Mm-hmm. And so for him to do that, yes, of course, maybe another student would have been unnerved, even if it was a white male, you know, knocking on their their door. But at the same time, that individual would have gotten the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. You see, we have been socialized in this country to think that black men are dangerous. Mm-hmm. So you can you can knock gently and be considered a threat. You cannot knock at all, but just mm-hmm. be in a neighborhood that's considered white and we're walking by. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a neighborhood that you live in, there's so many things that we have to take into consideration, you know, such as when you are the only or one of a few people of color living in a neighborhood, black men, when they walk the neighborhood, will have to make sure either they're taking their child or they're taking their dog or something to make it look less harmful. So it's really important for people to understand that when you made that decision Mm -hmm. to go to the police station Mm -hmm. to introduce them to your son, that was a matter of life and death for you. Oh, yeah. For him. For him, yeah. So that there's always this conversation that you have to to navigate. Yeah, 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 definitely. And because he... um, would um, do a lot of spontaneous things um, that he's not even thinking about. You know, all of those different actions could be seen as behavior that was dangerous. You know, actually, I was reading that um, there are there are a lot of um, autistic uh, people in um, the system because they have been missed. Um, they haven't been diagnosed and their behaviors are seen, um, you know, as deviant, whereas it's, it's just, it's just the autism, but they haven't been diagnosed and they get. Which means that we need to have more training for everybody across the board, which yeah. is why this is autism awareness and acceptance month, yeah. right? Yeah. So that people can begin to identify that these behaviors are not meant they're not malicious behaviors. It's just mm-hmm. 
um, some deficits with some social skills. Now, it's interesting that um, you mentioned the stigma. Mm-hmm. Now, we have definitely come a long ways, but, you know, I know that, as you said, even in our community where they mm-hmm. don't understand mm-hmm. about this, you know, sometimes people will think children are just misbehaving. And it's not that they're misbehaving. I mean, you know, I think when I see um, a kid out in public and they're having this horrible, horrible tantrum and the parents are trying to deal with them, you know, as a psychologist, I know it's beyond just the kid is spoiled. That family is dealing with something. That kid is dealing with something. And until we can educate folks to understand that, um, we end up punishing Mm -hmm. the kids quite a bit. And so- you are very fortunate. Yeah. You have had the support that you had um, that helped you to get past some of that stigma and some of the things. And, you know, I would, the flip side is I probably would not have known what I know if I wasn't living in the white community. Yeah. Yes. And that's the disparity That people need to understand. There are resources that are available in white communities that are not available to children of color. You can actually go uh, on the, um, I'm not sure if it's CDC, but I, I saw a recent report where they were talking about not as many children of color are diagnosed with autism, but it's not because children of color don't have it, but it's because of the resources that are available to be able to go in to get the appropriate testing that you need, misidentification, of mm-hmm. course, uh, mm-hmm. because people assume that there's something else uh, happening with the kids, not having the appropriate medical insurance that will allow you to go in and get these services or to do what you did, mm-hmm. which was you knew something was wrong. You advocated for your child. You were in this white community, but here's one thing that you were able to do that a lot of parents may not be able to do. You decided that you were going to really homeschool him for a bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and pour into him. Yeah. Not every parent is able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a program, um, that I found out about from another white person, um, a white woman, beautiful woman. And they had a, uh, it's this whole program called the Sunrise Program. And so we followed that model and they taught us everything. They trained us. They trained us how to build a community and um, fundraise and everything. But I, I, w- I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. So it sounds like, and we do have to take a quick break, but it sounds like, with that program, you didn't see, there weren't any differences as you could identify that they would treat your son versus any other kid. They were able to give you everything you needed in that. Yeah. Uh, well, we could talk more. Well, about well let's talk about it after the break then, because I can <laughs> see the wheels going there. We will be right back with my guest today, Teresa Noy. We have to take a quick break. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate 
Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with the Dismantle Racism show. My guest today, Teresa Noy, has been talking about her experience raising uh, a special needs child, and we're looking at the intersectionality of race and autism. So before the break, you were talking about this wonderful program that your son was involved in and that you would not have been aware of this program had you not been in the white community that you were in. And so we're, 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 you know, taking a look at some of the disparities. And I ask you whether you noticed any differences between the way your um, son was treated, even in that wonderful program, because it sounds like it was wonderful, the way he was treated versus white uh, children who also had autism. Yeah, well, I have to say the program that each parent would... Um, facilitate their own program. So the training was done by the parents and we built our own team. And it was an internationally known um, program. So um, it wasn't so much that, but we would take, we were working in tandem with the school district. So as we were navigating our school district and advocating for the resources that we needed for our son, because even though we were at home, they couldn't provide for him in the school. So we were entitled to that support, right? Which I wouldn't have known if I didn't live in that community, right? So um, so in that, in advocating, there was um, a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, nuances that we had to work through that I'm pretty certain other white children, you know, white children didn't have to deal with. Right. Because sometimes the information may not be as forthcoming as it needs to be. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's trick. It's like, and and we actually hired a, um, an advocate to help us navigate it because it's very nuanced and it's like, it's really tricky and you have to know so many things. Um, just the whole IEP um, process alone. Yeah. And then when you add race in front of it, you're like, is this, is it really this difficult because of the system or is it because I'm black or, you know, so it's just constant. It, yeah. well, I will tell you because I worked as a school psychologist before, and so I know all about the IEPs. And I was one of the people who had to diagnose, uh, or didn't have to, but diagnose uh, children. And I could do it because I had a PhD. Not all school psychologists can do that, so I just want to make make that very clear. There's a lot that you have to deal with in the school system. Period. Right. But I also know that there's a difference between the way students of color are treated and white students. And that there's also an assumption Mm -hmm. that students should be put in special ed classes, sometimes even without being aware of what the special need is to begin with. And so I do know that systemically it is a problem and, and the schools are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Right there, they're not enough people in the school, school psychologists, social workers to provide what students uh, need. Maybe now that COVID has come, maybe they are increasing because we know that mental health issues have um, increased as well. And so part of it is that. But I also know from working in this system, I could see the differences in mm-hmm. terms of um, how teachers treated students of color, uh, how administrators treated students of color, and um, 
just this cycle that was there that was created right when a parent is coming in and they want to advocate for their child but then they're treated in such a way that provokes the anger right that that creates these feelings of anger and then when the parent the parent responds out of anger then it creates a whole nother cycle of things right so that's why we always i i just always led with love you know i I became friends with every single person on that team. I would bring gifts. Um, Now, I wasn't doing it so that they would, I mean, I genuinely just led with love because I knew that love can melt even the coldest heart, right? Love could turn people towards us. So I just led with love. And I remember one school, one, um, there was a Black woman on uh, the team, one of the administrators, and I remember she said, do you have pictures? Because when you go into the the, um, the meetings, it's the parents, right? The children are not there. They're just a report. And I remember that administrator saying, telling me, she pulled me aside and she said, do you have pictures? I know you, mom, I know you have pictures on your phone. Take your phone in there, show them the pictures, let them become a person to him. And she was like, tell them stories about him. Let them know who he is. And I never forgot that. I just always led with love and really used stories and experiences for them to really know who he was. And I, and, and, and what's so beautiful about what you, you just said mm-hmm. is that there's a way that oftentimes that we 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 recognize one another and we recognize what we are going through. Mm-hmm. So I love that pulling you to the side yes. or speaking to you because we see one another. Mm-hmm. And what she was inviting you to do was to make him human right. and not just another case, mm-hmm. not just another number. And what I have found since we're talking about this, this, leading with love is that when you show up in love, you actually perceive even, even like, I love that you said, you'll melt, you know, the coldest heart because people begin to see, see you differently. Mm -hmm. And our behavior has the possibility of changing other people's behavior, but it also allows us to move freely in whatever space that we're in, it allows us to navigate it differently because we're showing up in love. Right. And so I think that's beautiful um, that, that you were able to get the support that you need. And I'm wishing your son well, as he continues on as a man now, like you said, you know, I I do want to just point out something in terms of this leading with love and also the bridging of the the racial divide Mm -hmm. that when we do lead with love and when we do see people as people amazing amazing things can happen i went um to china uh the year before we shut down and i i went chaperoning a group of kids And most of the kids were uh, white kids, but there was a black autistic kid who traveled with us Hmm. and everybody knew that he was autistic before we went. And we did some bonding stuff before we got there. And can I tell you, those young people looked out for him so much. It was the most beautiful thing. Because they weren't concerned about race. What they were concerned about is that we're all here together. He has some limitations and they just would help him with whatever he needed. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so, because you know how teenage years could be with people with yeah. their clicks and not clicks. Now, there might have been some students on the trip that they didn't like, but him, they were like, no, he can hang with us anytime. So if, if the group went somewhere, you know, we would let them go off to do some things. 
he can come with us. And it was just so beautiful. So I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa, for being on the show. And oh, we're over uh, already. Yes. So tell our audience how they can get in touch with you. Yes, you can reach me on all the social media. Teresa Noy. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Just Teresa Noy. And as a Nancy O-Y-E. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to ask you to spell that for them. And so, Teresa, um, any other final words that you would like to say? You got about 30 seconds to say that. And then I invite you to offer us a blessing as we close. Oh, I just want to say thank you for having me here. And I just want to just invite you to remember that love whenever fails and all of the challenges that we experience in our life, all of them are inviting us to deepen our love, our love for our source, our love for ourselves. And as you do that, you learn how to love other people well. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Leave with love and, and everything else will just melt away. Amen. 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 Thank you you so much, Teresa, for being uh, here today. Thank you to my wonderful listeners. Um, If you'd like to know more about ways to dismantle racism, I invite you to go to my website, sacredintelligence.com and um, check out what I have going on there. But please go there as well, because you can look for the Dismantling Racism book, And you can pre-order if you would like, but please join me on April 18th for the launch of it. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz as he helps you walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. And actually, I will be his guest. So I'll see you over there. Bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life hi i'm pat duckworth women's health strategist and host of the hot women rock radio show empowering women leaders at menopause join me every thursday at 10 a.m eastern time 3 p.m uk time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. 
This channel features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.